Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Well, it is good to be back. My three weeks away were very refreshing, and I want to thank you for making that possible. But on my first Sunday back, after being gone for about a month, what is the first text I come back to? A text on discipline in the church. Whoopee. But, in all seriousness, on first reading of this text, it seems like a three-step process, much like a three-strikes you're out policy. You know those policies. Three petty crimes and you end up in prison. Or more recently, Governor Cuomo's three-strike policy on indoor dining for everywhere except New York City. Now, for those of us who were raised with a hermeneutic of suspicion, or for those of us who are just suspicious, this text sounds a whole lot about protecting those in power, about keeping the institution intact at all costs, like those abuses that we hear about in politics and also, unfortunately, in church. Well, I don't think either of those worries that I just mentioned are what's going on in this text. In fact, when we take a closer look, when we read it a couple times, I think that we see clearly that Jesus is concerned with the very practical matters of this life. Things like how to deal with conflict. So what's going on in this text? We are told, first, if someone wrongs you, confront that person. If that person is not reconciled to you, the second step is to confront that person with one or two other friends. If you are all not reconciled and the two who you are with see this person is being unreasonable and is, in fact, abusing you, then, and only then, do we go to the rest of the community to confront that person. So, Again, our worries about is this a three-strike policy? Our worries about is this about keeping in power those who have power? I don't think it's about either one of those things. I think this text really is a call for you and me to not gossip about the person who's wronged us, to not go and tell everyone else except that person about the matter at hand, whether it be real or imagined. This text and what Jesus is saying is what you're to do is you're to confront that person. What a concept. You remember what we were told as kids. Maybe you had a brother or a sister and they stole your toy or whatever it was. And oftentimes, at least my mother would say to me, Ben, have you talked to Alex about that yet? Or maybe, you know, I, I have to learn all these lessons over and over again. I hope that you're in the same boat, but I know it's true of me. But it took me really until seminary, uh, and this is at a point in my life when I'm trying to fix everything. I think I'm a hero. But the seminary professor essentially tells me, 
that if someone comes to you in the church with a problem with some other person, don't get triangulated. Don't get involved in a gossip about this person. Ask them, do the very same thing my mother told me to do. Have you talked to that person about it yet? So I think that really this three-step easy process to church discipline is first and foremost a guide or a possibility of keeping conflict from getting out of control and poisoning the community. That said, we all know that when two or three are gathered together in close quarters for any amount of time, there is bound to be serious conflict. Or in these socially distanced times, we all know that when two or three are scattered across the globe and they are on Twitter, there will be severe conflict. So where does the text go from here? Well, again, let's take a step back and go step by step with what Jesus is saying. After we go to the person who's wronged us, most of the time, at least in my life, when I actually confront the person and don't begin by gossiping, I would say seven out of ten times, 70% of the time, we get reconciled or there was a misunderstanding. But when that doesn't happen, if they continue to oppress you, then you're to go to a friend or two to take them and bring them to that person. Again, not to gang up on that person, but essentially it's, you know, you have your biases, I have my biases. Oftentimes I misunderstand a thing or think that I was very wronged when there was a misunderstanding or maybe I'm in the wrong too. These two people, they hear you guys hash it out and you have outside advice or outside what's really going on here. And it's here, and oftentimes, like again, 70% of the time, I think, it's you confront that person, it's over. When two or three, it's even higher percentage. But on that rare occasion, when two or three are gathered together to confront an abuser, and again, they're not trying to manipulate them, they're not trying to gang up on them, they're really trying to listen. If that person is still unrepentant, is still abusing you, oppressing you, whatever it is, it is at this point you go to the church leaders, get them involved, and if even then the whole community hears this, they see, obviously, Ben, you're in the wrong, you're hurting this person, and I still am unrepentant, I still keep doing those things, it is then and only then that that person is to be treated as a Gentile or a tax collector. That is an outsider. Again, notice, you're not going to the whole church right away. You're not going to all your friends right away. You're not posting this on Facebook right away. This process, again, first and foremost, is an invitation to keep conflict from getting out of hand. So now, why have I spent all this time going through this text that I just read that was pretty plain? Well, I think that if we actually approached conflict in this way, far fewer community flare-ups would actually occur. This process is not put forward as this... <coughs> excuse me, sorry. 
as this foolproof option. And in fact, looking at our national and local politics today, I'd much rather handle conflict this way than on Twitter, Facebook, or the way I'm speaking about myself, gossip at will. And if you are concerned about the other thing I mentioned about is Jesus simply keeping those in power in power, remember that this text comes right on the heels of Jesus' call to his disciples to let the little ones in, let the little ones come to me, the small, insignificant ones, when no one else in the world at that time was talking about that. This isn't about power. Again, this process of conflict management is Jesus' way of acknowledging that conflict is oftentimes part of our reality together. And again, this way seems a whole lot more uh, poised for reconciliation than the ways I oftentimes involve myself in. But maybe you're like me, and even though actually, you know, if we enacted this, this would be much better than our current way of doing things, even if this seems healthy, maybe you're like me and you're still a little perturbed about the notion of making a sinner an outsider. Especially for me, when I get overthinking about the horrible bully who made my life a living hell in middle school, or maybe for you when you get overthinking about the boss who monitors your every keystroke now that you have the privilege of working from home. And when we stop thinking about those people and we start looking at the man in the mirror, the person in the mirror, when I start to think about my own freakouts, my own meltdowns, my own breakdowns, whatever, I start to worry that this three-step process is going to get me thrown out. But I don't think we need to worry, friends. I don't think we have to worry because this passage in no way invalidates Jesus' earlier word that we are to forgive 70 times 7 times. Better still, this gospel word does not invalidate the word that we are to be forgiven 7 times 70 times. So what is going on in this passage then? Well, think about the result of the three-step process. They're to be treated as Gentiles and tax collectors. How does Jesus teach or treat outsiders? How does Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Think of Matthew, the disciple, a fraud, an embezzler, a tax collector. Jesus' own disciple, Matthew, this outsider, was made an insider. Think about last week, the story of the Syrophoenician woman, an outsider for being a Gentile, an outsider at the time for being a woman doing male stuff. Jesus calls her a person of great faith. He never says that about his disciples. He says that about this outsider. 
So do you see what I'm getting at? Do you see, forget what I'm getting at, do you see what Jesus is getting at? He is leaving the door wide open for outsiders. In fact, he is the type of person who runs after outsiders. And this is where we see the good news in this text about church discipline. No matter our histories, no matter what we do time and time again and cannot keep doing, except with the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is coming after us. Now, I don't know what you bring with you to this live stream here this morning. I don't know what guilt it is, what regret it is, what habitual sin you bring, what feeling of being legitimately wrong. Jesus calls for the church, for you and me to open our arms to habitual sinners. He's calling us to open our arms to people like you and me, who do the same thing wrong time and time again. So yes, Jesus is calling for the church to address poisonous conflict. But more than that, he is calling for the church to do what he has already done. And that is to run after Gentiles, tax collectors, outsiders, sinners. And why? Because the Lord whom we serve is the father of the boy in the story of the prodigal son. Our Lord is the one who doesn't wait for us to have our stories straight. He's the one running after a wayward habitual sinners like you and me. And so we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear, friends, because the word of Jesus says that whether your experience in church has been this or not, the church is to go after sinners, is to treat people who screwed up time and time again as someone they want in their doors. More than that, this is the character of Christ. And he is about people like you and me and even the people we don't like. And thanks be to God, because this is the best news for people like you and me who are oftentimes on the verge of our worst days. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.